Welcome to episode 205 of the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. I am Dave Deacon, and have we got an episode for you. We talk wheat, of course. That's what most everyone in the ag world is talking about this time of year. With Oklahoma State University Extension Small Grain Specialist, Dr. Amanda Silva. We will be covering a lot of interesting stuff in this episode, including the results of field trials from across the state. And you will be able to find that information and everything else she talks about on our website, reddirtagronomy.com. As always, we start with a quick trip around the table for an introduction to the dream team of dirt and everything that grows from it. Let's start with Oklahoma State University's Extension Soil and Water Conservation Management Extension Specialist, and holder of the longest title on the podcast. I've been so happy that it's raining on my irrigated ground right. and, and I, I'm still, like, I've got cotton out there, and I don't think we'll have to turn the water on until square, you know, so July, especially if it keeps raining, and it's it's not, it's humid, and it's not really been that hot, which is not necessarily good for cotton, but at the same time, the plants aren't just beat to crap. Dr. Jason Warren. And across from him, we find Oklahoma State University's Extension Cropping System Specialist. If we end up getting a nice bump in those wheat yields or, or even late season hay tonnage, you know, do you think that was a contributing factor? We, we didn't see that cattle on those wheat until, you know, pre-joint like we would normally see. Some of them pulled it off in the fall, you know, to where, to where they just got fall, fall grazing and then really didn't graze anything do you think that's part of a contributing factor what we might see some benefits to dr josh lofton at the time of this recording on june 7th dr brian ornell was at osu's research station in chickasha harvesting his wheat plots so he wasn't able to join us for this episode now the doctors really do enjoy hearing from you and answering your questions so if you have one about soil or crop production Jump over to reddirtagronomy.com and leave your question there. Or send us an email directly, podcast at reddirtagronomy.com, and we will discuss your question on the next podcast. Matthew, we did get your question, and we are working to get the right person on in a future podcast to answer it for you. Also, a new feature, if you want to watch the podcast live as we record it, jump over to our Facebook page. We actually live streamed this episode as we recorded it. It's kind of a sneak peek behind the curtain to see how the show is actually produced. Look for the Red Dirt Agronomy podcast page on Facebook and watch for live event notifications so you can watch live as we record the next episode of the podcast. You can even comment in real time and the doctors can answer your questions live. So let's kick things off with an update on what the recent rainfalls have meant to the soil and everything that grows from it with Dr. Jason Warren. You are listening to the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. So Jason, overall, we've, we've had a little bit of rain in the state. Yeah, Things are looking better. Um, things don't look so dire, I guess. There for a while, it did kind of look serious as far yeah. as soil moisture yeah. goes, but we're past that, maybe? Uh, in the eastern half of the, or the western half of the state, we're in really good shape. You know, in April, it did not look good. Right. There were guys that were, there, you know, farmers that were able to get some corn in the ground off some little, little rains. And at that point, I was like, dude, it's we're going to have to have some rain because yep. <clears throat> we can get it out of the ground, but it's only got a foot or so of moisture underneath it, which means it's got two or three inches. And now a lot of these places, 
it's like the world has been turned upside down to be honest yeah because you know out in the panhandle there's guys that have had 10 inches of rain in the last 14 days yeah and you add the last 30 days and that's a pretty easy guess for most guys and so now they're set up to grow a crop and all they need is average you know you got 10 inches in the ground Mm -hmm. and then you really just need an average rainfall year to get an average yield and if you're luck out and have a little cool weather and some above average rain then you could really do pretty well that's what was nervous making me nervous is not just getting it out of the ground but not having any profile and now we're back to having a profile you look at like lugard altus i was looking at that data the other day and now they've got some base flow it looks like and that means that the landscape is full of water right and now it's releasing it into that river and i think if you looked at a lot of the flow river flows you'd start seeing that and that's indicative of where we need to be in the spring we should we should really need to be there a month ago right but at least we're there so so it was quite interesting whenever you were in my office earlier you were talking about that base flow so can you give a little more detail of what that base flow was because the way you said it to where you know flow when there's rainfall is natural but flow when there's not rainfall is kind of what you're talking about yeah and i mean i'm not a hydrologist i just look at this stuff and think about it in the context of what i know and what you see as you go from the winter time you know moving into the spring on an you know any type of year that's our wet season downstate and then we got a little bit of wet season in the fall but the fall is a little different because you've been sucking moisture out of the ground all summer right. and in the spring those rainfalls are very effective at recharging the system because you don't have full grown plants out there pulling hard at full ET in August and so you want that first big rain in the spring you know it's going to soak in and then the next one may not soak in quite as fast because it's hitting more moist soil and and every time it rains you'll get some runoff depending on the moisture condition and intensity of the rainfall and that runoff will go to your streams and you'll see a spike in the the flow of the river and then as the the soil system within that basin starts to fill up you'll not only get surface runoff but then you'll get drainage underneath and if it gets in in contact with the alluvial aquifer that's associated with that you you connect everything from top to bottom down to the aquifer, then you can start to get a little improvement in the base flow. And I just said that because it's indicative of the landscape being full of water. And I, and to kind of tie back into that, and I don't want to get too off topic, but I've been looking at some like car, CO2 numbers off some field experiments where we're measuring CO2 and nitrous oxide and stuff, and it's fascinating because like last year our primary productivity or essentially the photosynthesis that's going on it wasn't really pulling that carbon number down or the co2 number in the atmosphere and now i'm seeing numbers that are like below 400 and the you know last year they'd been like 500 and so that means that our ecosystem at least at fort cobb and in covington where we're collecting this data is really pulling carbon out of the atmosphere because everything's happy and green and lush and then you know you can look at the, does that make sense yeah. so you can see all like i don't know i'm kind of goofy 
but it's it's fun to see because after going through what two years worth of drought and last year was as bad as i can ever i mean it was worse than 12 i don't know what the weatherman or the like weather history would tell you as far as the intensity of the drought but i i think we were better prepared for it yeah and people didn't made smarter decisions and on the whole especially the guys with cattle pulling cattle off and Mm -hmm. destocking but it just seemed brutal Mm -hmm. and so and now we're growing stuff yeah well and as i'm looking at the mesonet right now we're we're recording this on june 7th and ava has had 7.46 inches of rain in the last 30 days and you know here in stillwater we've had 4.65 ida bell 1.1 1.1 inches in the last 30 days and well and that's what i'm saying it's like the world is upside down yeah i mean you look at the 14 day accumulated rainfall and miami oklahoma has had zero rain right and boy city has had what eight, uh, seven inches five inches uh boy city's had 4.84 inches of rain uh looks like hookers had 5.66 in the in the past 14 days i mean that's yeah you got to start th- you, you got to start thinking about them guys out in eastern Oklahoma because yeah. their soils aren't built for that. Right. And we talked about that a lot last year because even though they were not as dry as the folks out west, those soils, those heavy clay soils, limestone-based soils, just aren't meant to take these long, prolonged dry periods because the way they dry and the way water fits around the, the soil particles and stuff like that. So even a less of a dry period, it seems to hurt the crops a lot more back east than sometimes it does out out yeah. west. Well, and, and there's differences in crops and management and all that that goes into a lot of that. But Yeah. They're, the eastern half of the state and the soils, now you can get down in river bottoms in the same. This is not necessarily true. But in the most part, those soil systems are not as resilient to short-range drought. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can get a crop out of the ground and get some roots established in the panhandle, then that soil can hold so much water that it can utilize and keep things going between the rainfall events. But, you know, some of the soils over around Miami I'm familiar with, they just don't have the rooting depth or the the effective rooting depth that, that can develop in that environment as much as you can find out west. And so they're very susceptible to short term or or you know like two week droughts yeah well it's kind of interesting that like you said everything's turns upside down because two months ago we were talking about the east getting oh, all yeah. the rain yeah yeah and the west wouldn't get any and then like you said it's just flipped flipped around and yeah maybe it'll flip around for a week or two for them <laughs> right <laughs> i don't want it to completely flip though i hope everybody gets keeps getting rain because uh, we're set up pretty good in the western half and so if we can keep getting fed a little rain from time to time then we'll be in good shape well like you talked about you know with sucking all the co2 out of the atmosphere you know we've seen corn or corn in the ground that's been in the ground for a month or so really was plodding along until the last like 10 days and it's really hooked up on itself and i mean there's a lot of things especially the corn and sorghum that you know able to function at those lower temperatures you know has really just hooked on and and gotten after it with these warmer days and now the rain underneath it yeah and see that may be some and i don't want to get into that too much but it's really cool because these we know we're measuring this stuff to assess you know greenhouse gas emissions in agriculture but then it's it's fun to watch that co2 number because we are measuring it in a corn field and as that corn goes to canopy 
And we've had fairly calm winds, and that plays into what I'm seeing, is that when the wind is calm and you go out there and take these gas samples, then that canopy is pulling CO2 out of, you know, its atmosphere and not so much interacting with the overall atmosphere, but you can actually see that corn breathe mm. by sucking wow. that CO2 down. And then if you go out there in the afternoon, if the in drought conditions, if the stomata are closed, then you won't see that. You actually see an elevated CO2 number because the soil's respiring and mm-hmm. generating CO2 and the plants are, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's cool to watch and you can see it at least, and I haven't seen it in Oklahoma for a while, and it's partly because the wind blows through the canopy and kind of messes stuff up, but uh, it's kind of cool. Well, and that's one thing I've I've noticed uh, just being out at the farm is it, we don't have the, the, the sweeping winds that we've had. And it's just been, you know, a muggy rainstorm. And, and again, this is, you know, around here, around central Oklahoma, but it, we, we haven't had the, the steady 20 mile an hour winds that, people come to Oklahoma to, to experience and you know, it just in the past couple of weeks, it's just been the muggy, you know, no wind, a lot of rain situation. Are you saying that you may be able to see that in the, uh, in the corn plants now? Well, they're just happier. I mean, you have 20 mile an hour run. It's brutal. Oh yeah. And you know, you have an atmospheric, condition that's like low humidity and then you add high wind to that it's freaking brutal on a plant yeah so you have the soil water condition but then the atmospheric conditions affect how much water is getting pulled out of that system and so we're fairly in decent shape i need to start i've been so happy that it's raining on my irrigated ground and i'm still like i've got cotton out there and i don't think we'll have to turn the water on until square you know so july and uh especially if it keeps raining and it's it's not it's humid and it's not really been that hot which is not necessarily good for cotton but at the same time the plants aren't just beat to crap now my student went out there last week and she said there is some damage of some sort and i'm not sure that it's wind i'd have to look at the wind uh, like historic wind last two weeks but like last year and the year before the wind was brutal yeah and it and it's just brutal. Well, and I think that's that's one thing that it's least helped us. You know, we were last week we were over in the eastern part planting beans and stuff like that. And like you said, it hadn't really rained in two weeks, but just under the surface, you know, half inch deep, there's still good moisture. And it's because it's it's hot and it's humid and and not a whole lot of wind. And and so yeah, the surface might dry out a little bit and bake out, but you know, there's still moisture down there. Yeah, and we're we're being able to. Re- keep that recovered a little bit longer than we would and dave i don't know anybody that we, we might have to call oklahoma tourism i don't think that's on their pamphlet is 20 plus mile an hour constant wind oh it's not no no yeah. i've i thought that's, that's not on a marketing pitch anywhere well hold on so amanda you're 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 not from Oklahoma. Whenever, whenever they told you about Oklahoma, was that part of the 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 spiel? Come to Oklahoma, where there's a constant wind, and you'll you'll love it. We'll always have weather for a kite. I mean, is, is that <laughs> well, part of? Well, it's in the song. The winds come sweeping down the plains. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I get the did song. Did you did you know what that meant? I guess <laughs> I guess I learned here. She, she does now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So, um, Dr. Amanda Silva with Oklahoma State University, uh, your your focus is more of the small grains, the wheat crop, and what what has the past oh gosh two weeks three weeks meant for the Oklahoma wheat crop with all the moisture? Well, it's almost like too late because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. now we are trying to cut, and there are a lot of cases that the wheat's ready but the ground's not. Yeah. So here I am hearing you talking about the rain and all that we missed that <laughs> yeah yeah we really missed that earlier in the season yeah so but it came in in a time where we had some good stand that it helped it helped with grain filling but in some cases now especially places where we cut already southwest oklahoma where the wheat was already matured and the ground was too wet we were seeing some impact on test weight Oh really? Yeah. It's dropping. Yeah, it's dropping. Yeah. So we yeah, it's a little bit behind. Uh, in some places that we should be we are ready to cut, wheat's ready, but then we have to wait a little bit on the on the ground and then every day we have a little bit of a forecast that we cannot make plans also, so it it makes it hard to Didn't that happen three, four years ago? Because I remember I remember in North Northwest Oklahoma, we were trying to do a, a story about the wheat crop, and we had planned on going out there to go shoot the story, and then it rained, and then he couldn't move this multi-ton combine through the wheat field because he was going to get it stuck, and so it was just, you know, stop and go with the wheat yeah. crop. Yeah, but, well, today we are cutting chicken oh, yeah. so, so that's good, but we are waiting on the other other places to see if we're going to get rain or not and if we can go tomorrow if we can keep going or not so it's been a little bit slow yeah yeah and when 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 would have been a better time to have this three weeks of soaking rain so would say during the what we call critical <sighs> period so anywhere where the wheat's forming wheat heads mm-hmm. grains per head so from jointing to flowering would yeah. be a very good time yeah. to get rain so that's when the crop is developing is coming out of dormancy and and using a lot of water nutrients so so we miss that in some places most of places i guess and yeah and in s- some other places that we didn't even have a stand like yeah. the panhandle wow um but balco we did and the plots looked really good mm-hmm. when i was there yeah uh, end of may Wow. Yeah, so it's uh, upside down, like you're saying. Um, our southern plots looked better than the north-central plots just because of the rain pattern. A little bit more moisture, just a little bit. That yeah. made a lot of difference. Yeah, because it, it started raining down southwest Oklahoma a little bit early, maybe. Mm-hmm. Er. Yeah, they got some scattered. Yeah, and yeah. it was spotty, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. that we didn't. Because what kind of yields are they getting down there? Um, I think it was around 50s, 40s. Um, well, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. At seven, eight dollars or whatever. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. And I'm very excited to see the yields at Chickasha from what I've seen the plots now that Tyler was showing me. Yeah. That they're they're cutting, so it looks really good. Nice. So. And another thing is that with those late rains, we also had some disease that came in very late. Mm-hmm. So we didn't manage for it in a lot of cases. Well, in Chickasha, we did just because that's what we do. We follow a methodology there. So we 
have standard management, intensive management, where we apply fungicide. Mm-hmm. And we had some leaf rust showing up later, uh, some septoria showing up with all that rain. And I think we may see an impact on that, too. When you drive around, do you see a lot of these fields that tillered out, like where they pretty much was close to dead in spots, and then they've tillered out, and so they're still green yes. in spots, and then there's areas that look like it's near mature? What, what what What's the deal on that? What do you think, like, the potential of those green spots are to make Yeah, green? well, in some cases, uh, what we were seeing in our trials is that the secondary tillers, the head size is almost the same as the, the main tillers. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of impressive. Yeah. We were having trouble actually making our sampling collection just because now we have a lot of secondary tillers and they're delaying mm. sampling. But in general, I wouldn't think those secondary tillers would contribute much Yeah. to yield. But you've got plots that that's a condition. You yeah. You just got to wait until they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Mm. So so we had that problem in sorghum a couple of years ago. We we were out at Homestead and the main tiller didn't do a whole lot. We had a or the main stem though he had a lot of tillers. Ended up bigger the same head size as the main stem. We ended up having to just wait on those. So those growers that have that out in the field, your recommendation just hold off. You know, go like like what? I think it depends on the proportion, yeah. right, of those secondary tillers. Like in in some cases here, where the proportion of green heads are really high, mm-hmm. we are waiting. Mm. In some other cases, then if it's just one here and there, then I wouldn't. But yeah, it's kind yeah. of. Well, I know we've talked about it because you know some of the stuff uh, you know that that have been relatively dry, you know, low test weights and. Also, some shrunken seeds. So even if the the head sizes are the same, maybe the quality or you know it, you know test weight and and all those other things could be a lot better on the secondary tillers that are coming around. You just mm-hmm. never know. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> yeah. So 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 I I guess your answer into that is it depends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> the old extension uh, answer there. Well done. Well done. <coughs> so go, going back a couple weeks, a few weeks, maybe a month, you, you did the wheat tours across the state. Was there a variety that stood out in different places? And, and if so, why maybe that one may have done better this year than maybe a previous year? Um, I guess I wouldn't say one variety, right. a specific name or anything like that. But things that I've noticed is that some variety, varieties, they were able to bounce back from the from the drought better right. than others. So some, they were suffering from the drought and they continued that path and, and never responded to that moisture. But some seemed like it did. Um, yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of, was, I was surprising seeing, mm-hmm. seeing that. And, but in general, I think if the drought was so severe the way it was and if it continued to be that way, we would have, it would be very hard to see variety differences. So yeah. I think the main differences that we saw, it was just the ability of the varieties to bounce back hmm. from, okay. the, from the drought. Yeah. Are, are, are you expecting it? And I know that you're still collecting data. I mean, you're in the middle of a data wave right now. Yeah. Um, are, are you expecting higher proteins in some of maybe different parts of the state due to the lack of rainfall and, and uh, just the overall weather? Yeah, we see that sometimes when we have 
very often when yeah. we have lower yields, then we see higher protein just because it's less diluted right. in that grain uh, dry matter. But yeah, I, ex I expect to see that we are seeing very high protein at Altus mm -hmm. that we are going to rerun with a different method. Wow. Yeah, yeah just to make sure mm -hmm. the, the analysis is, is collecting what is actually is just because... We do like a near infrared analysis, and so we are gonna use like a wet chemistry analysis to make sure that protein. So that must be really high. It's very high. Like, at, like average, eighteen percent. So it's very high. Wow! Unbelievably high. Yeah, it's it's unbelievably. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's it shouldn't it's it's too high and. My fear with that is that the equipment is not really calibrated for that high of a value, and then maybe it's. Yeah, inflating can, too yeah. much. Mm -hmm. So we'll run it at Swaffle and, and see what what says. But in other cases, we can see, like I always see every year. So some varieties, even with high yields, they will tend to have higher protein. Right. So that's something that we can see their, their genetics in that. But then things like the environment will impact. Uh, so there is a still a negative relationship between yield and protein. But we can clearly see that some varieties, year after year, they will tend to have better protein than others at similar yield levels, mm. similar and high yield levels. Have you visited with the guys up at Kansas? I mean, are they are they kind of in the same boat as far as the rainfall patterns hitting their wheat crop, or did it hit them earlier relative to the physio or like the growth stage of the crop? I think it was very similar, if I'm not mistaken, mm. but. Yeah, I guess I haven't followed that. I just wondered it, the phenology it. very close. I just wondered about like the general condition of the wheat belt, wheat crop. It, no, it's it's like yeah, it's not the best. No, everywhere. Yeah. Well, like yeah. in western, like the Panhandle. Mm -hmm. At our at our we at our research stations, they planted wheat, and it came up. I don't know when did it start raining. The first of May. Mm. It, it emerged the first of May. Yeah, we planted. Uh, yeah, we most of west the panhandle west of there. Well, we had some there that never came up. Yeah, that we had to abandon unfortunately, and then some that we were doing some testing there for late planting. So we planted in October, then we came back and planted in November, which is late for the panhandle. Yeah, they all came up by February or something. Wow. Yeah, kind of. Mm. Yeah. Well, at least that was the time where we could kind of see it. Row it. Yeah. Yeah. So. So where where have you seen your your highest yield so far? In just just in the data that you've collected so far. So we haven't harvested many locations. So okay. we did Altos, Walters, and Chickasha today. Okay. And from the little little bit right. that i saw from from the combine that tyler was showing me it seems like chickasha might be a might be a very good one which mm -hmm. is very surprising yeah i didn't think that when we were there at the plot tour so mm. autos was looking really good when we were there mm -hmm. so which having 40 50 bushel there is also very good considering the the mm, conditions yeah awesome yeah and amazing protein. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> too much. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully this week we can cut more locations. So we are hoping Arena, where we have that dual-purpose comparison with Green Only and Apache. So have a better picture of it. Mm -hmm. 
What what has been the the questions you've been getting this year from the from the producers across the state? Well, the the first thing that everybody has in mind is that drought tolerance. Yeah. On varieties, but when it's but that's what I say when it when a drought is so severe like that, it's very hard for even a variety with a drought tolerance to to handle. Mm-hmm. But since we got some rain later on now, they will see that on the on the yield results. So those they will be able to 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 compare varieties um about that with with that drought tolerance or at least with the ability to respond mm-hmm. after being under drought. Questions we get it's uh grazing, so everybody's uh interested in that. There are a lot of things involved, so it's not only fall forage production so one thing that we like to mention to them is the ability of the varieties to recover from grazing so we have a lot of varieties that produce a lot of forage in the fall but you put cattle on it and they struggle yeah to come back Mm -hmm. and and that's what we see too so that's especially important for those trials where we have dual purpose that they can see that unfortunately this year we will not have data from our dual purpose plots at Walter so we didn't have any forage there oh, so it's right. just going to be grain only there yeah yeah. I forgot he, he this was the first year in a long time he didn't put out I think like in 30 years yeah. he said that yeah. he didn't graze it wow. he didn't have the cattle there yeah, yeah. yeah and uh, where, where my farm is the guy across the road wheat crop looks amazing the guy down down the road he left he left his cattle on and just grazed out the the wheat, and then the guy across the road from him hated it. So I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it's it's like the Bermuda Triangle of of wheat. I mean, we have all three. Yeah, that defines Oklahoma, I think. It this really year. does. It's all over. Yeah, we have all kinds. Yeah. <laughs> well, so let me ask you a question on those lines. Very theoretical because there's not. I mean, who knows what the right answer is? But we have a lot of folks pull off their cattle relatively early on wheat. Or, or maybe never grazed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we end up getting a nice bump in those wheat yields, or or even late season hay tonnage, you know, do you think that was a contributing factor? We we didn't see that cattle on those wheat until you know pre joint, like we would normally see. Some of them pulled it off in the fall, you know, to where to where they just got fall fall grazing and then really didn't graze anything do you think that's part of a contributing factor what we might see some benefits to because you mean not grazing in february yeah when we didn't have you know a marginal dry period or a very dry period you just didn't have those cattle so the wheat was able to kind of recuperate mm-hmm. and you could be maybe yeah. something to learn going forward on those marginal dry years that you know you have to start you know weighing those options on grazing versus you know, we did it out of necessity this year because I think a lot yeah. of folks would rather graze because the hay levels are so low. But in a year to where we have an abundance of hay potentially, maybe it's something we can learn from yeah. from a wheat, oh, yeah. wheat perspective of, especially in those marginal years. Because I mean, there's some folks that I think we're about to give up on the wheat, and you go around on Twitter and look at their hay. And yeah. those windrows from the hay are massive. Yeah. They just got a ton of hay that they're going to probably love come July when, you know, they're really going to need it. And, I mean, there's a lot of folks that were giving up on oats, you know, a month after they planted. And, you know, we've heard some really astounding oat hay mm-hmm. tonnage. So, and, I mean, we had great oat 
that I never thought when we planted that that it was going to make. But, you know, the rains just came at the yeah. right time for for some of those that were a little bit later and, you know, all that. Yeah, so. yeah grazing intensity is extremely important, especially when we are under drought. Because like I, says, I said, there is a genetic component on the ability of the varieties to recover, but moisture conditions is, is number one. So if and you graze it to too hard... And it's, hard, and it's to hard to replicate in your stuff to really give an answer to that. Yeah, cause, yeah. I mean, yes, it is. I mean, <laughs> that, that's almost an impossible task mm-hmm. to ask to ask those kind of things. Yeah. So, anyway, whenever it comes to and and this is this is a Brian or Nell question, so I think the brain trust here between the three of you guys can. Did he write in? Yes, yes, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, Brian, a, a, a Brian A. from Chickasha is wanting to know, um, overall, whenever it it, it, it came down, it, in, in years past, it's come down to, do I do a nitrogen application? Do I go ahead and, and trust the, 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 the strip? I mean, do, do I put forth the money to do it? Was this year a good year? to go ahead and, and jump on that. And, I mean, whenever, look, looking at where we are now, were there benefits to making the application, to making the commitment to the crop? Oh, it's so hard, I think. It is, to, yeah. To, to know, yeah. And, and we, yeah, we get questions about it all the time when we are in situations like that. And I don't, I don't know because the crop didn't use the the residue that we had last year mm-hmm. so in several fields we had a lot of uh, residue still but in some cases we didn't so I think it would have been a good idea and I think we are seeing that in, in some of our trials so we saw a nitrogen response so I think it, it depends it, on, the, yeah. on the on the field it depends what is the residual so I think that's why it's important for them to know the what they have out there, right. what they had out there, and I, I think I would trust the the strip. Yeah. But. Jason, you look like you're warming up for a great yeah, answer. Yeah, you go, Jason. Well, and it's it's hard to do because it's hard to spend money on something that might fail. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if yeah, if I recall the the data that Arnall has shown is, you know, your responsiveness to nitrogen is not necessarily proportional to the yield you could have a low yielding year that responds to nitrogen and i think it goes back to what amanda said is what kind of residual you have what kind of microbial decomposition Mm -hmm. you have of the organic matter to release the nitrogen during the growing period where it needs it and those things are highly uncertain that's what's so handy about having a nitrogen rich strip if you can handle the management that goes along with it it can provide you some more knowledge Versus just going out there and doing your standard rates. Yeah, we we were in that same situation in the plot that we we were like that. It was balco. Mm-hmm. So, based on the information we had, we we're like maybe we can put a little bit more. But with that drought we had, you yeah. know, uh, if I was a producer, I would have not. Yeah. But since we were doing research, right. I said, okay, let's go ahead and do it. Now I think we'll. We'll see a, a response to that. It it looks better than the bulk of the field. It's just greener. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Well, and that's real common. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's very difficult. And, and like I said, if I if I was a farmer, I would have not done mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But since we have just a small, <laughs> right, <laughs> a yeah. small area, and I, and we can kill that curiosity. That's that's <laughs> what we did. Yeah. So so from that standpoint, I guess does green equal grain? If 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 visually, you say, hey, that's a. I mean, I I, I went ahead. I committed to the nitrogen. Uh, it's green. Am I going to see a benefit from that greenness? Does green equal grain in that situation? I don't know if if it's a very direct proportion. I think it would be better to say not green. Ah, no grain. No grain, yeah. <laughs> But then it's hard for us to to see how much of that green would yeah uh, would be actually uh, influencing or yeah giving yield. Well, because last year Brian said that he had enriched strips that underperformed the bulk of the field mm. last wow. year. Wow. And that that's because that nitrogen stimulated more growth, vegetative, vegetative growth, growth that yeah. used more water, and then it mm -hmm. ran out of gas and died. Especially when you do early season. That's what he's, he's been yeah, saying. It was, like it was the early. early season application, it's, yeah, not a good idea. Yeah. Because you do promote a lot of vegetative growth and, like, Jason was saying, using a lot of water, and we don't get water. And <laughs> right. yeah. Whereas this year, it's the opposite. We didn't have any water to get it going, and then deluge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with that deluge, it's really helping the the summer crops, the cover crops, the everything else crops? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I... I think the one thing, kind of like what Jason was talking about earlier, the one the one thing right now is is some of our crops, specifically cotton. We we are in dire need of this heat. We're finally getting around to. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I mean, in the Panhandle where they've gotten a lot of the moisture and and all that, I mean, they were they were like mid seventies yesterday, and down in the forties and the fifties wow. at night. I mean, that's. You know where where you have everything else kind of clicking for you. You kind of need the heat to come around. Yeah. You know, and and the sun. You know, we talk about how you know when we grow summer crops, we're harvesting sunlight. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what we're doing. And when we have these long cloudy periods and it's not very warm, then you know we have the two of the three components that we need. We're just missing that third one yeah. to really, really. And, and that's not to say things are negative. It's right. just to really take advantage of the situation that we are being blessed with, especially out west, we really need to start getting some heat to come around to really push some of those crops. Not too much. But not too much. Not too much. <laughs> <laughs> but, just too much. Right. Just, just <laughs> like, like a porridge story I've heard <laughs> yeah. in the past. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's good. This, the, the weather in the central part of the state has been – been dang near perfect yeah. in the last couple of weeks to to really get things going and and kick it off and really get growth coming um but out, out, out west we we got a little more time their season's just now starting you know to get going so th they'll they'll get it eventually um yeah it's just it's one of those things we have all the pieces in play we just need that heat to come on and kind of stay friendly for for the the time being so how does that impact the uh I'm I'm going to say a term that I don't necessarily know if that's the right one. The tasseling, the the pollinating of the corn, the the magic the where the the pollen falls from the falls where, down. Where the magic happens. Where the Is that magic where happens. <laughs> well, I I remember early on you told me that that there's like a two week magic period where that has oh, to yeah. happen and and temperatures I, have to be just perfect and I don't know. I before the fairy comes out and sprinkles all the magic dust upon the corn across Oklahoma. 
Yeah, I mean, we were in we were in Texas last week, and they were just now starting to tassel. Yeah. I, I don't think I've seen, I haven't seen any corn tasseling yet here. But but if North Texas is tasseling, that means we're close. Yeah, we're we're getting we're getting close. Um, but they they had a lot more rain early, so we're we're probably a little bit behind them. We're we're getting close to that time, especially some of the corn that got planted early that got blessed with some of that early rain right. that got up and got going. It's it's probably getting really close. Stone Jason, we were about chest chest to shoulder high on some of our corn here in Stillwater. So I mean, we're 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 getting close, um, but you know, it's we we still got some time. But yeah, I mean, these these conditions would be perfect. That's what I was asking. Perfect yeah. for that. Um, yeah. You know, we just two or three weeks from now, we still need the same conditions. So. Well, and I I mean, parts of the state haven't even hit ninety yet this year, mm-hmm. and it makes it sound like I'm complaining. I am not complaining. Not complaining. But it but there are crops that that need that, and 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 corn may or may not be one of those, and that's why I was asking. Well, I mean, it, it everything needs a little bit of of heat, right? You know, as long as we got good. The the best case scenarios is well, I mean it's it's kind of a funny thing because the best case scenarios typically when we're when we're dry and it's where we get these very warm days and these really cool nights right when we get the humidity we usually don't get those diurnal swings like we normally would and so the the nighttime temperatures stay up a little bit higher and the daytime temperatures are kind of capped a little bit so we get this kind of narrow range which is still fine as long as the temperatures where it needs to be but I mean for corn and everything else it's 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 those nighttime temperatures that mean everything. Yeah. And so even if it gets to be a hundred degrees, which we know it's going to happen yeah. at some point in time, as long as we stay out of the high eighties and low nineties during the evenings, things, things will take advantage of it. That's we, when the pollen fairy shows up. That's when the pollen fairy shows up. Mm-hmm. Yes, Dave. <laughs> that's how you explained it to me. So that's why I'm, yeah. that's the only terms I know. We were on public TV. I couldn't explain it any other way, but, <laughs> um, but yes, that's, that's kind of what we need, um, and and uh, but you can see some of our other crops that were planted a little bit later. Um, they're they're you know some of our soybeans are really struggling to get going. Yeah. They're they're putting on trifoliates, but they're not getting the height that they they've gotten years past. Which for some of us that's fine, yeah. you know, because sometimes and a lot of our soybean crop the the issue was we're getting too too much vegetative growth now when we have good conditions. That kind of like Jason and Amanda were talking about earlier with the wheat is that when we come to July and it's hot, we have to sustain these huge, you know, I remember back in, I think it was 20, we had these four and a half foot tall soybean plants and then the drought hit and it wasn't two weeks that those things died because yeah. it just has a lot of vegetative material it's got to hang on to and and we don't need that. So, uh, you know, having this moderate growth, you know, is 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 okay. There's nothing wrong with it and getting it to to get going as long as it's getting going is is good well put is is good going while well, the get going is good is is all good so that's <laughs> all those things are within the realm of good i really need to work on that quote i i, I can see that as a bumper sticker get the gets too many words yeah, it's, it's very wordy isn't it well, um, so I guess uh, any advice for producers as as they move into the summer with uh, with the crops? Well, I mean, I, I a lot of it's going to depend. There's, you know, a lot of our fields out west um, for some of our summer crops are are hinged on the fact of they either take their wheat to harvest or yeah. they don't take their wheat to harvest, and that's whether they'll plant a full season crop or a double crop or maybe no crop. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think a lot more than not, 
took it either to a late hay or are taking it all the way to grain. Part of the reason why I think that is is because in April, there was no good signs of saying, yeah, I'm going to terminate this crop that's already growing oh, to yeah. plant a crop that I have no idea if it's going to have any moisture right. or not. So I think a lot of our western part will will have to make that decision in the next couple of weeks as wheat's starting to come out. We have moisture. It's it's um, maybe it's not even what double crop we go to, or not maybe not whether we go to a double crop or not, or it's what crop we go to. Um, you know, there's there's probably going to be a lot of consideration on forage sorghum because we are missing a lot of that hay reserves that we we typically would like to have. Um, we're hearing a lot of folks wanting to put in summer covers after a wheat crop, wanting to have a forage, you know, to go into a wheat crop next year, and they're looking for options, um, and then. You know, with prices, you know, soybeans and grain sorghum and all that are, are, are a true possibility. So if we keep going in the West, you know, get a couple of showers in the next couple of weeks, you know, to let them get the wheat out. We need to get that wheat harvested but still have that, that ground wet. I, th- I think we're going to see a lot of double crop potential acres coming in um, just because the availability is there. So, Jason, um, we're, we are entering or we're, we're tiptoeing. I think we're jumping into an El Nino year and those traditionally tend to tend to be a little more wet is, Mm -hmm. is going fallow and just letting the land rest and rebuild the moisture profile. Is that a, is that an option? Is that a good idea? I mean, you know, that's a kind of the business plan decision. Yeah. You know, what's your business? If you're a cattle guy and you uh, are looking to have some fall forage for stalkers or anything it might be prudent yeah um because you're going to store that water and you can see it in the wheat even this year the 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 stuff that was less intensively cropped over time is going to have a better wheat crop than the stuff that where they had beans in last year and they planted wheat into because it had more to go on and if you go through the summer and you have good moisture in the fall you plant it early and you've got something to go on then you might have some forage if you're but otherwise and then the further west you go the more important that storage is and so what but if you're you know in central or eastern oklahoma it's a good idea to try to take advantage of it because you're not gonna keep it around Mm -hmm. and it's sold that differences and all that stuff so like i say I'm not going to fault anybody for doing anything. Right. Because I'm just tickled to death that it's raining. Yeah. And, and it all depends on what your business plan is. But if you want to make grain uh, and you you have the equipment to do soybeans or milo, it's it's at least an idea uh, to think about utilizing or taking advantage of the El Nino. Mm-hmm. And, and, again, I, I, I'm just so damn gun shy about this rain and yeah. the weather. <laughs> and, you know, I look at the long-term weather history and i and it, it's every 10 years every 10 years we have these dry spells now and we had them in 12 we had them you know last couple of years you look back to 2000 it was dry you know what i mean mm-hmm. and and so i'm hopeful that we're going back into a wet cycle the guys in the climate center suggest we're going into a wet cycle a cycle and so we need to have the gun loaded to take advantage of that in my opinion and and it's fun like earlier today i told uh lofton i'd look into it and i didn't quite get to look at all the data but like on these summer crops you know if you've had you know seven eight ten inches of rain in the last 30 days 
you've made your first bushel. Mm-hmm. And every inch of rain on top of that 10 inches, say, will make 10 bushels of wheat, or not wheat, but like corn for sure, maybe 12 bushels, or eh, 10 bushels of milo, and I'm not sure about the beans. So we are at the point of making grain. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. If we have any soil water storage capacity, which a lot of our cropland anymore, because we've lost a lot of marginal ground, but if you've got good deep soil, you've got the first bushel in the bank, and then the rainfall from here on out is just going to make more bushels. So I'm I'm excited, but again, I know it can turn south real quick. The heat can turn up, so and the rain can turn off. So I always am cautious. So something that me and you have talked about when we were talking about the cover crop things is, is a lot of folks that are coming out of wheat, maybe wanting to go into wheat in the fall. So they don't want to do a grain crop during the summer because yeah. it, it just doesn't work. Um, and so they, they go to something that they can either graze on or hay or do something like that. So, you know, we're talking about forage sorghums or cover crops. Yeah. And you talk a lot about there's some of these soils out here that can't store a tremendous amount of moisture. So if we have the moisture now, it's yes. not going to be available in September. That's so you might as well grow a forage now. Great. Great. So talk talk about, like, what are those soils that, that are those ones that can't store it? So you might as well, like you said, take advantage of this moisture. And that's a fun, that's a great question. And, and it's more of an art than a science to answer it. But if you have shallow soils, meaning, you know, if you try to dig a post hole, you're going to hit rock, then that's where I would target my my summer forage post wheat harvest. And the reason that is, is, and I, Alex Roccatelli is working on some of this, and I've, I've looked at it. Um, Tom Peeper, back in the day, he looked at summer forage production in continuous wheat systems. And generally what we see is that including that summer forage or cover crop Mm -hmm. is going to reduce the fall wheat forage production. Um, It will not necessarily, and on average, won't affect the wheat grain yield. It'll just, in some years, it might make the wheat grain yield better. In some years, it might make it worse. But on average, the wheat grain yield doesn't get affected by the summer forage. It's the summer forage affecting the fall growth, Mm -hmm. and I don't know necessarily that that is a water deal or a nutrient availability deal, whether it's nitrogen or whatever else, but the data says that harvesting wheat, planting a summer forage or cover, and then planting wind into it will limit the growth of the fall wheat forage, and that's a... But if you look, like Tom Peeper did some great work, and it was just a simple summer millet mm-hmm. hay f- program and then he looked at fall forage production and then he looked at uh, spring hay production and then grain and what he found is that the spring hay production was not affected the grain was not affected but that fall forage was affected so if you are a and and these were across like five locations in northwest oklahoma and I think he may see less of an effect if you were on these shallow, poor soils because they don't store the water. So you might as well get it while the getting's good. Like the sand, dunal sands along the rivers, if anybody's farming some of those, or shallow red bed soils, go ahead and make your hay there. But if you've got a deep port silt loam or a grant or a pond creek or something like that, which is like pond creeks up around Cherokee, 
the the soil, not the town, but the concrete silt loam, uh, or the you know any of these deep alluvial type soils, you might want to store water in them for the fall forage. In contrast, to these shallow red beds, you might as well use it and get some value out of it because it's less likely to affect the wheat crop following that. And we don't have good data on it because as researchers, you know, that's pretty hard to do to find <laughs> so many different, but we can look at the, the soil water holding capacity and say if it's one inch per foot or in the top four feet, we only have five inches of water storage versus the top feet having 15 inches of water storage, well, more 12 inches of water storage. Put the forage on the five-inch water storage soil. Utilize what you get during the growing season and what's there now, and then it's going to be a lot easier to recharge that in the fall. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does. But, and that's anecdotally what I've seen over the years just working with growers is those guys that have these poor soils observe less negative impact on their wheat crop than the guys with big grain yield soils. Does that make sense? Yeah. So then it's the then it's the overall question of what's what's better getting the forage when we know we have moisture or you know waiting for that wheat to hope we get forage. Well, that's, yeah. that's that's such an interesting that that's a difficult question to overcome is you know put hay in the barn or uh, assume that your wheat the next year is going to be a little bit better grazable. Yeah. And and there's got you know I could I could introduce you to people who they're always planting something. Yeah. And they're they're cattlemen, or women, or whatever, and they're always thinking about planting something, and moving the cattle to where the grain, the forage is, or then utilizing it for hay or whatever, and it's a, it's a management system that's chaotic, but it's also thoughtful, in that you can take advantage of the rain when it comes. You may not get a crop out of every seed you put mm-hmm. in the ground, but hopefully, you'll hit a sweet spot sooner or later and you'll keep those cattle rolling through your system so amanda as as we do have the rain and we're looking back on this year in a utopia of 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 a wheat crop for next year what what lessons have you learned from this year that that could be applied to maybe a average year where we're not fighting drought if if everything if, if if everybody's prayers come true and it does continue to rain moving on through the f- summer and on into the fall, what what's maybe some lessons that, that you've learned from this year and previous years that could be applied to, air quotes, a normal year? What I would say it's actually disease resistance. Mm-hmm. Because this year we had some leaf rust, septoria catching us by surprise, and we didn't manage for it. Yeah. So I think that would have been important, having the yield potential out there to protect. So having that genetic resistance to protect our yield potential, that would be, that would be my plan. And and you know that that's a good point because you can there there's only so much that you can manage for, and 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 then there's there's a lot out there that you can. Per, select for I guess. Yeah, yeah, you can select for it. We have. All those traits out there, we have our breeders mm-hmm. working on it, uh, and I think it's a very good tool to take advantage of. So that would be one that comes to my mind right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Amanda, thank you so much for setting in with us and and, uh, putting up with these two. And sorry, Brian wasn't here to to chime in. Yeah, Yeah, we missed you, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Wheat harvest. I know. (laughs) Out cutting wheat between the rainstorms. You got to do what you got to do, I guess. Yeah, I should be out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, crunching data. So, yeah, so producers know it's on the website if they're interested. How often do you update the website? Oh, it's as often as, as it comes in. I get the data and I start working on it the same day or next day, depending yeah. on the time that we get the data back. But yeah, mm-hmm. so as soon as we have the data, it's maybe a few days. How how many sites do you have across the state? Uh, I think locations would have been maybe I never know, but it would have been maybe fourteen. Wow. More than that. But experiments, I think we, this year we were about 37. Wow. Research mm. experiments and around this day. Yeah. I, I have like six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, and, and that's not at every. It, that's not replicated at every site, is yeah. it? it? Those is? are all replicated. Wow. Yeah. I think the only one that is not replicated is the demonstration mm-hmm. strips that we have here in Stillwater. But all of. All of those. So those are variety trials, but also research yeah. trials where we are looking at planting day, nutrient uptake, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. So this is a it's a very busy time. The, so we are running <laughs> everywhere, mm. trying to collect biomass samples and harvest and do everything. Uh, yeah, and analyze data. So. <laughs> See, this yeah. is why I'm a summer crop guy because when I'm doing this in October, it's a lot nicer outside. Yeah, <laughs> it is nice. Yeah, it's hot. Yeah. I, I, the, the the nice thing about summers is if you can get summer crop planted before the end of May, um, in early June, and then you don't have to harvest it until it starts cooling down. It's pretty nice. But we <laughs> harvest. Oh, going down the canopy right now. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's like good, like climbing into a combine to unplug it. It just sounds wonderful when it's 40 right. degrees. And humidity of 90. Uh, <laughs> the good thing is we are I'm all I'm probably going to have to do that here before long. <laughs> I'll probably plug a combine. That's going to be my penance for that comment. Uh, I'll, I'll plug a combine, and then I'll be under it for two hours. Let's say we've, we've unplugged a combine in sleet before. I don't know which one's worse, 90 degrees or sleet. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Well, <laughs> now you're excited. You're excited to see the data. So yeah. I think that overcomes it. It's always <laughs> nice to get the final result. And thank you for listening in on this conversation of the Red Dirt Agronomy podcast. And if you'd like to join us in the next discussion, send us an email, podcast at reddirtagronomy.com, or send us a tweet. Our handle is Red Dirt Ag. And of course, head over to the Red Dirt Agronomy Facebook page so you can watch us record the next episode live. We would like to thank Dr. Amanda Silva for joining us on the podcast today. To find out more about her or any of our guests, along with any of the resources that we talked about today or on previous podcasts, visit reddirtagronomy.com. There you'll find show notes and you can listen to past episodes too. For Dr. Josh Lofton, Dr. Jason Warren, and the absent because he was cutting wheat, Dr. Brian Arnell, I am Dave Deacon, and we all want to thank you for listening. The proceeding is a copyrighted recording of Agnow Media, LLC, 2023. And yes, all rights are reserved.